welcome to Facing Cancer Together, a podcast of the cancer support community, Greater Philadelphia, with your hosts, CEO Kelly Harris and Rodney Warner. Welcome to Facing Cancer Together with me, Rodney Warner. I'm a volunteer here at uh, Cancer Support Community. Uh, CEO uh, Kelly Harris uh, can't make it today. But who can make it today is attorney David Maycheck. Thank you for having me today, Rodney. Well, thanks for coming. Um, David is an attorney who practices in the Philadelphia area. So you have an office in Jenkintown and Philadelphia, right? Center City, correct. Yep. You specialize in social security disability benefits and and helping people get those benefits. That's correct. And that's, uh, that's all I've done for over 20 years. Excellent. And... You know, I would imagine you probably had a fair number of people with cancer who've, who've needed your help. Absolutely. Um, for disability, um, you know, there's it runs the full gamut of, you know, mental health issues, depression, schizophrenia, anxiety, and then really any almost any physical impairment that you can imagine. Cancer, uh, the various types of cancer, fibromyalgia, um, MS, you know, back issues, orthopedic issues. So there's really grounds for possibly disability. Almost for every uh, medical impairment that there is, the real issue is not what you're diagnosed with. It's the functional impact on your ability to work on a full-time basis and how it affects you on a daily basis. So why don't we back up a little bit and let's talk about uh, the, the two basic programs, which is Social Security Disability Benefits and supplemental security income. I think I've got that right. You're absolutely correct. So why don't you give us a, a, a broad overview of, of Social Security Disability? As you mentioned, there are a couple other programs that I'm not going to get into, but I'll just mention briefly. There is a disability program for disabled widows and adult disabled children. Um, but keeping kind of streamlined here and focused, uh, to answer your question, Rodney, um, I'll start with Social Security Disability. They're obviously the, the Programs are both run by Social Security. Social Security Disability and SSI are similar um, in some ways, and they're different in, in some ways. And the uh, the major differences between Social Security and SSI is for Social Security Disability, um, first of all, a person has to work and pay into the Social Security system. So um, if a person's working but they're off the books, that doesn't count for Social Security Disability. And as a person works um, and hopefully pays taxes into the Social Security system, uh, they earn quarters of coverage. Basically, a person has to be having what Social Security calls insured status, which um, you have to work five out of the last 10 years. So that's the first thing they look at. So as an example, if you have a, a couple that's married, and I've had this, this conversation, and let's just say the... Well, I don't want to be sexist, so I'll say the wife is a doctor, and mm -hmm. she's making a good living, and the husband um, you know, stays at home with the kids and, and does the domestic stuff um, and gets sick. You know, That person very well may, may be disabled, but if they were staying at home and not working, and they're, they're not entitled to disability benefits. So that's at least under the Social Security Disability Program. Uh, the other thing that is different from Social Security Disability, if and when a person is approved for those benefits, the amount of money they would be entitled to on a monthly basis is calculated based upon what they paid into the Social Security system over their work history. My amount would be different from your amount, depending on who paid more Social Security taxes. 
and also under the Social Security um, Disability Program, uh, minor children um, from a person that's disabled are also entitled to benefits based upon the parent's disability. The way that Social Security Disability and SSI are the same is the disability standard is the same for both programs. How they differ, that's the requirements for kind of the technical details for Social Security Disability. For SSI, you don't have to work. You could you could not have worked a day in your life and still possibly be eligible for SSI. You could have worked off the books. So the cortisol coverage that I described for Social Security Disability isn't a uh, requirement. Uh, what is a requirement is SSI is basically a need-based welfare disability program. If you have assets absent one vehicle and one primary uh, residence over, I believe the limit is $2,000. Again, technically you may be disabled, but under the SSI program, you're not going to be entitled to anything because you're over the guidelines. And in terms of payments from the SSI benefits, uh, the amount is set by the government. So with adjustments, and again, that gets technical, I'm not going to get into that. Basically, everyone um, starts at a set amount for the SSI program. It's not like Social Security Disability where it's all over the, um, the field. And also, minor children are not included for benefits under the SSI program. If you qualify for SSD, after a waiting period, you get Medicare. That is correct. Two and, years and five months, exactly. Which is, which is kind of, it, it doesn't, I mean, if you do the math, because let, let's say I worked and, and got benefits, my COBRA would run out after like 18 months. That's correct. So it's a problem. I, so I have potentially, what, six months without health care? Right. And SSI, you qualify for Medicaid. That's correct also. And, and that's, that's kind of right off the bat, isn't it? That is. Well, that, that would so be more through the, the state, but if the person was approved for SSI, then it would kind of get converted over. But the person, if they were in a financial situation where, again, they were receiving welfare, a part of that benefit is, is health care benefits. Right. So, I mean, if, if you're dealing with cancer, in a way, SSI, if you really need medical benefits, that, that's, that's actually a better benefit. Yeah. Medicare, in certain respects, you're correct. But um, Medicare, if and when a person is approved, more doctors take Medicare. Right. They pay more. Um, that gives you more treatment options. Um, Medicaid is kind of, it's more, they don't reimburse much to doctors, hospitals and stuff. So you don't have as many treatment options. And, you know, so it, it's sort of a trade-off. But for Social Security Disability, the fact that sometimes people do run into gaps with non-coverage of health insurance is a major issue. First of all, obviously, for the person's health and the treatment that they need and require to hopefully stay healthy. Um, but in a social security sense, is that if you have gaps of treatment or periods of time and you're appearing before a judge and they're trying to make an assessment if the person can work or not, but they don't have, I'm just making up uh, a year's worth of records because that person couldn't go to doctors, then that really hampers a person's chances to get, it's kind of a double-edged sword where mm -hmm. I'm here to get help to get disability because I need insurance, but to prove I'm disabled, I need the medical records to prove it, but I can't have the medical records because, you know, I don't have insurance. It's, you know, it, it, there's no good answer for that. Um, you know, I, I've had numerous, on, I never ran the stats on this, but uh, individuals that I represent, um, and this is more SSI cases, but, you know, people tell, ask me the same exact question that you do. You know, um, you know I, I, when I tell them, 
Well, most people were denied at the initial level um, reconsideration, which we can talk about more as the second level in a disability evaluation. Um, but eventually, most people, if they're approved, they're going to be before a, a Social Security judge. And as we sit here today, that process, if you apply today for Social Security, up until when you're in front of a judge, I would say, depending on the office you're talking about, but Pennsylvania area, South Jersey, 18 months to two years mm. is, is probably the waiting period that if you have to go that far um, that you do. And a lot of people say, well, you know, how am I going to get by? I only have $10,000 in savings. You know, I'm not married. Uh, you know, I don't have any family. And unfortunately, I don't have a good answer for them. Um, but a lot of the people that I start out representing um, run into a problem where they end up homeless and they end up in shelters. And eventually, when they are ready to schedule the, that individual's hearings, I'm trying to find the person. And a lot of people kind of get lost to the system because, you know, again, they're with friends, they're with relatives, they're on the street, they're in shelters. And, you know, the hearing is scheduled for June the 1st, and I have no idea where this person is and, and can't get a hold of them. And then the date goes by, and then, you know, maybe they check in in July, but now they miss their hearing and they're back to the back to the beginning. So it's 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 not the best of situations, obviously. So so why don't we why don't you talk about kind of big picture, broad brush? How does the process work? The first thing that uh, um, I would say about that is, well, let, let's start with when a person should apply for disability. The requirements for Social Security for to get um, either SSI or Social Security disability is. A person has to be out um, a period of a continuous 12 months or have a condition that's likely to result in death. And I don't be, need to be morose, but that's the way the law is written. So a lot of people um, who do maybe a little internet research or whatever say, well, you know, all right, well, they tw 12 months, I don't know, maybe I'll be out, maybe I won't be out. So I'll just wait nine months or 10 months until I get an idea of, you know, if I'm going back. If that person waits nine months and hypothetically, let's just say their condition hasn't improved and they're not going back to work, they just lost nine months where they could have been in that kind of pool waiting for a hearing date and cut down on their waiting time. So my advice, first of all, if a person thinks they have a condition, um, apply sooner rather than later. You can always drop a disability case. You could always tell Social Security Disability you don't want to pursue it. Um, you can't do the opposite. You can't go back and say, hey, I should have filed this application a year ago, so, you know, date it a year ago. So once a, uh, a person applies for disability, and again, this applies for the SSI program and Social Security Disability, the first thing that will happen, it'll be the initial um, evaluation of the case. And what that entails is Social Security uh, will start uh, sending that individual a lot of paperwork that they want filled out and returned. Uh, that would include things uh, such as... Um, work history reports. Uh, they want to know about a person's type of work they did in the past 15 years, what it entailed, how much did you lift, sit, bend, stoop, crawl, um, all that good stuff. Um, they will also send out what's called a function report. And I'm, I'm talking about these packets aren't one or two pages. I'm talking about like 20, 30 pages, which is overwhelming to some people that have disabilities, mental health disabilities, or they don't feel well physically. And now they have a packet of you know, 30 pages that Social Security wants back. And usually they, they tell people we want need it back in 10 days. They'll take it if it's longer than 10 days, but 
it's on there when people don't know how the system works. They, they feel they're under the gun. So, um, you know, in the functional report, the, the questions they basically focus on there is how the problems, the medical issues, either physical or mental, are affecting the person's ability to function on a day basis. Cooking, cleaning, vacuuming, grocery shopping, socializing, interacting with uh, the public. So once that information goes in, concurrently, Social Security, um, on the application itself, the uh, person they'll ask for a list of doctors, hospitals, um, clinics that a person's treating with. Social Security will contact those doctors to get medical records, test results, treatment records. Um, Social Security is understaffed. So if I'm Social Security and your primary care doctor is Dr. Smith, and I send Dr. Smith a letter saying we need his records, two weeks go by, no records from Dr. Smith, maybe I send another letter, Another two weeks go by from Dr. Smith, no reply. Maybe I make a phone call. Maybe I don't. But they don't have the staffing to call every day and say, we need the records, we need the records. Eventually, they're going to say, we're not getting those records and make a decision based upon the information that they have. Now, again, a lot of times that could be a huge, huge problem because, uh, and I'll go go back to uh, cancer. If I get your records from your primary care and your physical therapist, but your oncologist doesn't respond. And that's the main reason why you're out. You're going to lose at the initial level There's because you don't have the information there. So one of the things uh, an attorney does, um, or at least my office does, is make sure that gap doesn't happen. And if we find out from Social Security, again, I'll use the oncologist, you know, we sent him two letters, called twice, he isn't responding. We know to step in and we have the staff that could be pardon my French, kind of a pain in the ass and call them every day Mm -hmm. um, and get those records in. At the end of the evaluation, and that will also sometimes involve Social Security sending a person, an individual, to be evaluated by a Social Security doctor. Doesn't always happen. Usually happens in a couple situations. If a person applies for disability, go back to the no insurance, hasn't had insurance for two years, hasn't seen a doctor, you know, they don't have medical records. Obviously, they need to get an idea of the person, what their symptoms, limitations are. So usually that person will be sent to a doctor. Or if, um, again, I'll, I'll go back to cancer, if they're saying cancer is the main reason why uh, they can't work, but there's references to the person's also suffering from depression because of the diagnosis, maybe not on medication, not seeing a therapist or psychiatrist, but you know, every time they go to the oncologist or primary care, they're telling them, you know, I'm depressed because of what I'm, I'm going through here and what I'm dealing with. If that's the case and there's there's references to the person, you know, complaining about depression, just to see if there's clarification of that and if that's something that could contribute to them not being able to work. Social Security may send them to a doctor to get evaluation for the, the depression that they see listed. Um, statistically, most people are denied at the initial level. So typically... I would say three, four months it takes to get a decision at the initial level. If that person is denied, they have 60 days to file an appeal um, saying they disagree with that decision. What they would be requesting, and I referenced this before, is reconsideration, which basically is a fancy word for a different person in the Social Security office that made the first decision, reviews the first person's decision, and sees if they agree with them. Now, nine times out of 10, because if me and my buddy are working for Social Security and my buddy says this person's not disabled and they pass that file over to me and I look over it, 
nine times out of 10, I'm just going to stamp, go off on what the first person said. So the statistics for being approved at reconsideration are extremely low. Most people are not approved at reconsideration. And again, that gives you the right to um, the next uh, stage of the appeal process would be requesting a hearing before administrative law judge. And that's really where most of the cases are won in Social Security if they have. And that's um, reconsideration. I should jump back maybe two to three months to get a decision there. Uh, when a person requests a hearing, you're looking roughly about a year to be in front of a judge. And again, there's a 60-day deadline for that too. There's, there's, if a person is denied at a hearing level, maybe I'll just stop it there because there are appeals of the judge's decision and then technically you can go into federal court and all the way up to the Supreme Court. But I mean, usually the hearing level is kind of, you know, where things are Right. Made or break. Right. As, as a practical matter, that's that's pretty much where, where things are won or lost. Correct. Okay. What are the major stumbling blocks, whether it's on the initial level or when you're, you've brought it up the, to the next level? What are the issues that prevent people from, from getting benefits? Okay. A couple of things come to mind. Uh, the first is drug and alcohol issues. If um, that's not to say if a person has a drug or alcohol history and they've been clean, you know, for a year or more, um, it's usually in the past and it's, it's not a problem. But if there's ongoing, let's just say it's a depression case, but it, it's, you know, when they go to the therapist, you know, they tell the therapist they're drinking a fifth of Jack Daniels every night. Well, maybe that person can't work, but alcohol is going to be found to be a material factor for the reason why that person can't work and they're going to be denied even though they can't work and that's not to say that they don't have problems with depression or anything like that and maybe it's, that's the main reason the reason why they're drinking is because of the depression that doesn't that's not a distinction that social security makes so you know technically um you know if a judge um and you know i'll, I'll just deal with them if they say a person can't work in 99 percent of the reason is because of depression, anxiety, you pick the condition. But 1%, so really a drop in the bucket is because they're drinking frequently or using whatever drug. Well, and he, he feels that they can't work. Most people would say, well, that, that person's disabled. Even that 1% causes that person not to be eligible for benefits. So drugs and alcohol on an ongoing basis is a major, major issue in these cases. Uh, the other thing, uh, putting aside someone that maybe doesn't have those issues or had those issues, is minimizing symptoms when they see the doctors. And I, I see this more, I think, this a bigger problem with men than women. Um, and I know for me, when I go to the doctor, I don't usually go to the doctor, unfortunately, unless I'm, there's a need for me to go there. And uh, when the doctor comes in and they ask me how I'm doing, I wouldn't be in that office if I was doing good. But they ask me, how you feeling? And inevitably what comes out of my mouth is, I'm good. I'm fine. I'm really not or I wouldn't be in that office. I'm not applying for disability. So it's not a really an issue for me. But the reason why that becomes a disability, uh, a problem in a disability case is, and again, I'll stick with, with mental health issues, uh, if a person is seeing a therapist and psychiatrist, and they're going on a regular basis, um, but every time they see their doctors, they tell them, I'm feeling great. 
you know, the medication is working. Um, you know, I'm able to go out of the house, do things, enjoy life. You know, I feel 100% better. There's no way that person's going to win their case if, first of all, they're, they're saying that there's, there's nothing wrong with them. Um, they still have depression, but they're on the right treatment reg- regimen where it looks like, at least on paper, that person could work. Um, and, you know, that turns into a bigger problem because at a hearing, and this happens a lot, maybe the person, you know, does sugarcoat things when they see their doctors. And, you know, the reality is they're home, they're crying, they're really not leaving the house, they don't really talk to their family. You know, maybe they think about hurting themselves, but they don't want to tell their therapist and psychiatrist for a variety of reasons. If I tell them they're going to, they're going to put me in a mental institution, and I'm not going to the hospital. So if I tell them, really tell them what's going on, I'm going to be in the hospital. That's not happening. So sometimes it's not even a person is lying. It's just there's, there's other reasons why they're not completely honest with their doctor. But to a judge and to Social Security, what's in medical records is gospel. And again, the problem that you run into is if a person at a hearing starts telling the judge, you know, tell me about your symptoms. You know, I can't sleep, don't want to be around people don't have an appetite, I hear things, I see things, and then they read the medical records and they read doing well, no complaints, medication doing, it makes that person look like a liar to the judge's eyes. So that's not me saying by any stretch of the imagination, I've never said this and I never will tell anyone to exaggerate their symptoms or make things worse than they are. But your long story short, your medical records have to be an accurate depiction of you, your problems, your limitations, and how they affect you on a day-to-day basis. And that's not just important for Social Security um, and hopefully getting um, benefits, but it's also important is because doctors don't know how to treat you appropriately unless they really know what's going on with you. And you tell them you're doing fine and you're really not, you're not going to improve. Now, was there's also this, I think it's called uh, a listing. Yes. So unfortunately for, for many people dealing with cancer, the reason they're disabled is because their condition isn't going to be getting any better. And I know when I was uh, looking at some very serious treatment, I met the listing. So if someone qualifies for this listing, what does that mean? Well, the listings are part of the disability evaluation process. It's a way to win a disability case. It's not the only way. Uh, But what it is, is basically Social Security publishes a list of almost any medical impairment that you can think of, the various types of cancer, MS, lupus, you know, depression, anxiety, the list goes on. But it's, and I guess this is a good, good and an important point to make. It's not a diagnosis that gets people disability. A lot of people tell me, you know, they call up, oh, I have depression. And they think just because they've been diagnosed with depression, they're disabled. That's not the way it works. There's you know, probably millions of people in this country that are working, that are, you know, maybe having some problems, but medication is working for them, and they're able to work with depression. Unfortunately, there's people that have been through every medication in the book, and, you know, it isn't working. The listings, uh, to answer your question directly, and it varies depending on what medical uh, condition you're talking about, but they're, they're pretty stringent. And the fact that you met a listing and you're here today is actually a a good thing for you. It's a good thing for me. Yes. <laughs> because listings are, are, are really stringent. I mean, what I meant by that is for certain medical conditions, it depends upon 
certain test, what your blood level are, what are, what certain, you know, enzymes are for depending on what you're talking about. And they make, let's just say an elevated level. And I don't want to get too technical for a test that they, they require under the listing. Um, elevated is over two. And you have a person that is at a 2.4. Well, the listing might say, well, if a person is needs to be at a minimum of four, and although they're elevated and they have a problem, they're not going to meet that listing. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that person lose, uh, loses their case. What it means is they go on to the next two steps, which is can a person, because of their medical impairment, perform past work or other types of work on a full-time basis? You know, in my case, I had Hodgkin's lymphoma, and I remember I think the listing was recurrent Hodgkin's lymphoma. So I guess if 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 you were your first go-around, I guess you wouldn't meet the listing, but apparently maybe if you got it, if it re- yeah. reoccurred like once or twice or three times, then, yeah. then then maybe that that would that would be it. Right, and I, I'm I'm trying to speak in generalities, but it's right. really difficult with listings because again the requirements for each medical impairment are not going to be the same. Because if you're talking about a listing for depression, it's not the same as you know MS, which has a whole you know different different slew of things. But you know it, what I would say is that, and I'm just pulling this number off the top of my head. If you had 100 people, uh, individuals that are approved for Social Security, I would say only 5 or 10 of them would be approved because they met a listing. And the rest of those 100 would have to go on. Could they do work? Could they do, you know, other types of work? So what do you, you know, when you, when you talk to the public, when people come to your office, what, what are the most common myths and misconceptions about Social Security disability in, in the process? I mean, what... What, what do you need to educate people about? Well, the one thing is um, what we already talked about is that, you know, a person feels they have a diagnosis. Again, could be MS, could be whatever. And they're under the impression that just because I have that diagnosis, you know, means that I'm disabled. That's, again, we address this, but that's certainly not the case. Um, other times, and this is... Most of the time, it's it's predominantly um, Hispanic uh, population, but there's a misconception, I think, in that community that they might be in this country for 10, 15 years, and they're telling the judge they don't speak one word of English. And most judges will will think you've been in the country for 15, 20 years. Certainly, you know how to say, you know, my name is Joe or, or whatever the case. And that they, they feel that that's going to help their case you know, if they can't, if they can convince the judge they can't speak English. And it actually works absolutely the other way is because, you know, if the judge is thinking, well, this person's been here 20 years, they're telling me they can't speak a word English. I don't believe that. Then it colors the rest of their testimony. Why should I believe them about anything else they're talking about? Because I know that they can, you know, they've watched TV or, you know, maybe they're not speaking perfect English, but they can get by. Um, you know, other misconceptions, conceptions and and you know this i think the simpsons actually back in the day did an episode on this um where there used to be you brought up the listings there used to be a listing for obesity that if you were over a certain weight height you know you'd be eligible for benefits you know some people you know call up and and think that that's still the the answer to their problems is that i'll just you know start eating um you know, they, they removed that a long, long time ago, uh, you know, probably 20 years ago now. Drugs and alcohol, we, we touched upon that. That's uh, another misconception. There was a point that 
individually if a person couldn't work because of drug or alcohol or substance abuse, that was the grounds for disability. Now, I think this was in the Reagan era, and I'm not going to get into a political uh, discussion here, but there was kind of a outrage. You know, I'm going to work every day. I'm, you know, I'm paying all these taxes for a bunch of drunks and drug addicts to, you know, get free money. So that's when they made the change from, yeah, you can get disability from, you know, drug or alcohol issues by themselves to now if it's, again, even a drop in the bucket to the reason why you're not working, you can't work. So those are just a few examples. So as, as far as an attorney is concerned, why should someone considering applying for these benefits, why should they consider hiring an, an attorney? Oh, a few reasons. Um, I think um, an attorney is helpful. First of all, and um, I would say if you are going to get an attorney, it's best to get an attorney that specializes. And this is just general advice. You know, if you have a car accident, you don't want to, guess, necessarily get an attorney who knows workers' comp or does predominantly workers' comp. So first of all, I, w- I would advise getting a, an attorney that focuses their practice on Social Security work. The first reason at the uh, initial level and reconsideration level is, again, what I, what I told you, um, is that a lot of times Social Security doesn't have the staffing. They write several letters. The provider, the medical provider, doesn't respond, you know, and they make a decision based upon whatever they have. You know, again, I can't speak for all attorneys, but my office, again, we step in and we help Social Security basically get those records so hopefully a person could get approved sooner in the process rather than later in the process. The forms that I talked about, the the work history, the function report, um, how they're worded, what you want to highlight, what you want to kind of minimize, uh, those are things that an attorney can work with a person with and, and, you know, take some of the burden off of, you know, now I have 30 pages in front of me, I don't want to do this. You know, it's easier a lot of times to have a conversation over the phone and, you know, myself or my paralegal take down the information than the individual sitting there themselves. But looking past the initial and reconsideration level, really at the hearing level is when an attorney, I think, is most valuable. And that's because, you know, attorneys, again, if they if they know what they're doing, um, could argue the regulations. Um, a lot of times I've been doing this over 20 years, uh, Social Security uh, work, um, and not that I go out golfing with these Social Security judges. And, 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 but after you see the same judges for 20 years, you know, I, I think I have a pretty good... You develop you know, a, inter- a, a... Yeah, a relationship. There's a rapport. Yeah, and a lot of the times the judges will call me in, you know, before the hearing even starts and say, hey, Dave, you know, what do you see here? You know, what are you looking at? You know, maybe the person is alleging disability January of 2015, you know, we have this MRI in June of 2015, which I feel more comfortable because I could pin it on this. Do you, you think that, you know, you might want to change dates, you know, and so you have that advantage. And then, you know, the regulations, you know, again, most lay persons aren't going to know how to argue those. And then the other thing at the um, hearings, nine times out of 10, they'll have vocational experts, which are basically job specialists. That are there to talk about a person's past relevant work. And then the person is posed various hypotheticals, either by the judge, if the person has an attorney, they have the right to add to that or, or pose their own hypotheticals about 
you know, I'll just make something off the top of my head. Imagine a person the same age, education, work experience as the claimant. This person can lift 20 pounds occasionally, 10 pounds frequently, sit six hours out of an eight-hour day, stand two hours out of an eight-hour day, and would have to have limited interaction with the public. You know, could that person, you know, do their past work? If not, is there other types of work that they can do? Now, again, you know, let's just say they name a couple jobs. Attorneys have the right to cross-examine that person to hopefully eliminate jobs and, and or elicit more testimony based upon a different hypothetical that could be favorable to the claimant. Sometimes, and, and this has been happening less often, um, they'll have medical experts at the, the hearings to address if a listing's met. Um, you know, if it's, usually they have them, if it's a, a run-of-the-mill back or depression case, and I think those are the two most common cases that I see at least. But if it's some sort of exotic disease that, you know, one in 10,000 people have, you know, they, they might have this person there. And again, most laypersons, when a person, you know, first of all, if the doctor says, well, I looked at listing 5.02, you know, they don't, blah, 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 they don't have this, they don't have that, the listing's not met or equaled. Well, first of all, the person just looked at them and said, what the heck are you talking about? I don't even know what a listing is, let alone if I meet or equal it. And then, you know, um, some, and I don't, again, some doctors, because they're paid by Social Security, I think feel under the, and this is certainly not all of them, but some I think feel under the obligation that I know what Social Security wants me to say. I know why I'm here today is because, you know, they don't want to be paying people, to be honest with you. And, you know, if I come to these hearings and, you know, I start telling, you know, too many times that, you know, this person can't work and, you know, and too many cases start getting approved based upon what I'm saying, well, guess what? There's a different doctor down the street that isn't going to say, you know, that person can't work as many times as me, so they're probably going to get the work. So I think that kind of unfortunately colors some perspectives of the, the doctors that sometimes they have at these hearings. So how do you get paid? Social Security uh, regulates attorney's fees. So every attorney is the same from Pennsylvania to California and back. And how they have that set up is, first of all, there's only an attorney's fee if a, if a claim is approved. Um, if a claim is approved, two things are going to happen. And again, this is either program, SSI, or regular Social Security Disability, is that the person will be, be eligible for a monthly check that the whole amount of that monthly check goes to the individual. No attorney gets any portion of, of that money that comes in on a monthly basis. They would also most likely be eligible because of the waiting times that we talked about. Um, let's just say they stopped working in 2018. Their hearings today, the judge approves them. Well, you know, they've been out of work two months, assuming that the judge said 2018, yeah, they really couldn't work. Well, now they, Social Security would owe them money from 2018 up until today. It's out of that back money or, or what Social Security refers to as retroactive benefits, how an attorney gets paid 25%, the attorney's entitled to, but that is capped at a maximum currently of $6,000. So it could be less than $6,000. It can't be more than 6000 for an attorney. Okay. Um, do you have any uh, parting words of wisdom for people dealing with cancer and considering Social Security disability benefits? Um, just to reiterate, and, and I'll give you my dumb example that I use a lot, and, you know, it is kind of stupid, but I think it makes sense. You know, report your symptoms. 
um, and you know be detailed. Sometimes it's good to make a log because let's just say you know a person is going through cancer, cancer treatment, and today's a good day. And the doctor, they're seeing their doctor and, you know, how you feeling? Well, I'm doing pretty good today. I feel pretty good. And they're not lying. But, you know, maybe the three days prior to that, they just underwent chemo or radiation and they were nauseous. They were in bed all day. They couldn't get up. But Social Security or the judge doesn't see that. They see the one note saying, you know, patient comes in feeling good. So it's fine if that's the case on that day, but you should also give, you know, well, that's how I am today, but three days last week, I could barely make it to the restroom without assistance from my husband or my wife or whoever. Um, so it's um, you know it, it's extremely important to um, to report your symptoms. Um, sometimes I, I think it's helpful, um, and maybe people are better than me. But when you're talking about again, you know, hearings could be two years from now, and I'm asking you, all right, in, in 2020, it's 2022. How many bad days were you having where you were having difficulty getting off the couch? Two years later, I highly doubt you're going to know, you know, well, it was one, 1. 1.5 day a month or, you know, or a week or whatever. So a lot of times I, I, I tell people that it's usually helpful and it, it doesn't have to be a book. You know, get a, get a calendar when they come out. And if you're having a bad day, just put an X on it or, or just write, you know, you know, couldn't get up or bad day. So when a judge or Social Security asked you, you know, how many bad days did you have June of last year? Well, you know, I've been keeping track. And it's helpful for doctors, too, because then they get an idea and hopefully that works into their treatment notes. But you lay your, your calendar out and say, you know what, I've been tracking this for my doctor. So, you know, here's June. It was five. You know, what other month do you want? I got, I got it since I was diagnosed. So I, I, I think that's, you know, extremely helpful. Um, my dumb example I'll come back to is how important treatment records are if, if I were a judge and I have a stack of medical records and they all started off, Rodney comes into the office, he's two foot tall and pink. And trust me, you guys aren't here, but he's not pink or two foot tall. <laughs> but um, again, I'm his judge uh, for a disability hearing and all his records start off that way. Now my eyes are telling me, again, he's not pink, he's not two foot tall, but guess what? To me, he's pink and two foot tall because that's what those records say is, is, and that's what I believe, and that's what I go by. Mm -hmm. So report your symptoms and be honest with the, with your doctors and, and hospitals and, and whatever treatment that you're getting. So a lot of it is is making sure you, like other areas of law, you really need to document your situation. I mean, you really need to create a paper trail. At the end of the day, and I know I'm sounding like a broken record, but it, people need to hear this. Medical records make or break cases. There's very few cases that, you know, not saying the testimony at a hearing to a judge isn't helpful or isn't sometimes convincing, but, you know, you can have the most convincing testimony about whatever medical condition you want, but if those medical records say that person is not having many problems and doing, you know, doing well, I don't care how good your testimony is, they're still going to fall back on the medical records say you're doing well so you can do some sort of work. If somebody listening to this podcast has questions or wants to know more about these benefits, can they call your office? Absolutely. If, uh, if they wanted to uh, get a hold of me, um, my office phone number um, is 215-886-0398. You can also email um, myself through my website, and that is www.disabilityrecordsinc.com. 
lawpa.com. Okay. And, you know, David, thank you so much for your time. Uh, this is very valuable information, and I hope people really use it, really think about it. And if you feel that uh, Social Security disability benefits might work for you, they might be a good fit, then it's, it's something you should seriously consider. That's the end of uh, this episode of Facing Cancer Together. Uh, we thank you very much for uh, listening. Uh, please subscribe to the podcast. And until next time, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Facing Cancer Together. Please subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss the next episode. If you want to learn more about the organization, our website is cancersupportphiladelphia.org.